It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 636 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I am honored to be joined by my guest on the show today. Joining me is Bill Carmody. Bill is an author, speaker, he's a leadership coach. And today's going to be a you know, quite a bit different conversation because it's not about sales or marketing per se. Instead, we're going to talk about wealth building and achieving financial freedom. And this is something, regardless of what stage of our career at, this is something we all need to be mindful of. And Bill has a new book titled Millionaire, Unlock Total Financial Freedom. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the strategies he spells out in his book for applying your leadership skills to achieving financial independence. The statistics are pretty sobering. Bill brings some of these up about how unprepared we as Americans are in general for our retirement. And if you're in that situation, then you want to use this conversation that I have today with Bill as a starting point to change that and to start preparing yourself for financial freedom. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 636. Now, friends, I've been mentoring sales professionals for years now, and I found that one of the most important elements to career success is is in addition to the sales challenge that you find, is aligning yourself with a company that develops its employees and values their customers and is top in their category of the products that they sell. So that's why if you're a top performer in your current role and you're looking for a fresh sales challenge to take your career to the next level, then CenturyLink should be at the top of your list. If you want the excitement, challenge, and rewards that come from selling industry-leading services to the enterprise, then visit CenturyLink.com forward slash accelerate and join their talent community. Once you join the talent community, a member of their team will reach out to connect and see if a career at CenturyLink is the right next step for you. Now, before I talk with Bill, let me remind you that if you haven't signed up to receive my periodic emails, then you are missing out. I save some of my best advice about sales and leadership, marketing, relationships, character, resilience for my subscribers. So visit andypaul.com. Right now, right there on the homepage, you can fill out a quick form and subscribe. All right, let's get to it. Bill Carmody, welcome to Accelerate. Hey, Andy. So great to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And um, yeah, we met actually because of an article you'd written in Inc. Magazine. Yes. (laughs) Well, you've very nicely included this podcast on a list of uh, the nine most binge-worthy marketing podcasts. So exactly, you're welcome. It was my absolute pleasure. I I I believe that there are so many podcasts out there. Sometimes it's helped to having a little bit of a guide and a cheat sheet of you know which ones are the binge-worthy ones you want to just dive into. And I think you do an amazing job. So thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for for including me on the list and those kind words. So it's a little bit of a change of pace here today on the show because we're not really talking about sales or marketing or leadership or anything, we're going to talk about financial independence. And uh, you have a new book coming out that, that's talking about that. That you know, This is certainly a topic that for the audience, you're listening, this is something we all strive for. We all want to be financially independent. We want to have the freedom to do the things we want to do in our lives or with our retirement. And But it's, as you point out in the book, it's, it's kind of problematic for most people in this country. 
That's right. Well, I think what, what really got me down on this journey was some scary statistics, you know, and, and I think the, the number one that really caught my attention was USA Today put out a study that showed that less than 50% of Americans could come up with $400 in an emergency. And that was like, what, are you kidding me? <laughs> Just like, I, I know people live hand to mouth, but that's ridiculous. And then, so when you start to break that down, that's not just people who are poor or lower end of middle class. That's a, that's a lot of Americans. Well, and what, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got a story along that line. So that's, that's even more shocking is, is there's this big law firm in San Francisco that, that went out of business a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago at this point, uh, but within the last 15 years, went out of business, big firm national reputation yeah. but they they'd overexpanded uh, you know taken on too many offices so when they were running into financial trouble and they had a sort of partner in charge who was was negotiating with the banks and everything about uh, yeah extending a line of credit and so on so they got to the point where they had the banks said yeah we'll we'll keep you guys afloat with a line of credit but what has to happen is the partners have to agree not to get their distribution checks for the next month because they apparently got monthly distribution. Mm-hmm. And the partner said no. And so the firm collapsed. And I asked this managing partner who was doing the negotiation, I said, what? <laughs> you know, these people are making <laughs> millions of dollars a year. And he said, yeah, they're all living paycheck to paycheck. And that, right there, right, Andy, right there, that is why I was inspired to write this book. And the reason is because I realized that it really, it really does not matter how much you make. It's all about how much you keep, how much you invest, how much you save, right? And and ultimately, what ends up happening is we, most people raise their standard of living as their paychecks raise, right? So, you know, when you were, when you were living off of $50,000 or less, you were like scrapping and trying to be really creative with your finances and, you know, not going out to eat all the time. And you were really, really, really comfortable with that, you know, and figuring that out. And it wasn't awesome, but you re- basically, you made it work. Right. But as your, as your paycheck goes up and people are making two, $300,000 or more, and they're still just getting by. I'm like, that's insane. Well, well yeah. I mean, I, so I, I coined a, a phrase when this lawyer was telling me the story, I, I call it sort of the three, two, one problem is yes. based on what he described. The three was they all have <laughs> three ex-wives <laughs> they own they own two homes and they have one really expensive car <sighs> that isn't that true isn't that the truth well, you know, it's and, and I think I think what's fascinating about that is that you start to understand that you have that extreme and then you have the other extreme. And, you know, we find people like a UPS driver who ended up, you know, saving millions of dollars in investments because they basically decided even though he wasn't making a ton of money, he was investing and he was doing it consistently. And you know, you think about the psychology of wealth, you know, you don't have to be born into being a millionaire to become a millionaire. In fact, most people aren't. Most people convert. Most people are on the sort of either low or middle side of middle Mm -hmm. class. And they become millionaires because they realize there are three really important things they got to do. Number one, you want to pay yourself first. Um, What really sort of struck home for me was in one of Tony Robbins' books, uh, Money Master the Game. He talks specifically about this concept that, you know, if there was a wealth tax, right, if the government suddenly said, you're making too much money and we're going to throw an additional tax on, you would scream, you would holler, you would complain, but you'd pay it. And you'd adjust to it. 
and that's what ends up happening is, is that in every, every time you have a direct deposit, you could so easily say, good, I'm going to take 10, 20, 30% off the top of my net take home pay. And I'm going to put it into another bank account, mm-hmm. my, my investment bank account. And I don't even see it. Well, that's your wealth plan, right? That's a simple, simple thing that anyone can do, but very few people do it. It doesn't cost the company anymore to have two accounts versus one. It's no big deal for you. You set up once and you forget it. And then once you've basically built up a bunch of money that you've put on an automated savings program, now you have money to invest and you can start start to make your money, make money for you. And that's the, and it's such a simple concept, but, but most people don't even have that $400 because they're living paycheck to paycheck. Well, and I think that also another thing that's that sort of complicated things, in the, certainly in the last ten years since the two thousand eight, you know, recession, is that you know with interest rates being virtually at zero, in terms of sort of simple savings plans for lots of people, is is suddenly saying, well, you know, the market's too complicated. Well, and you know what? I think it's too complicated because of a lot of people who are making a lot of money making it complicated. It's really not that complicated <laughs> if you really break it down, right? Here's 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 another scary statistic, and I'll jump into why I think it's not complicated. Do you realize that you know AARP, they did a separate study, and they actually asked people who participate in 401k plans, you know, how much fee do you pay in your 401k plan? And 75% said nothing. I pay nothing. I, there's no fees. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. But that's, but that's, that's where we're at. Right. So you have people who are living paycheck to paycheck. Then if they save anything at all, it's usually a 401k. They invest that 401k. There's tons of fees associated with that 401k. They're not even aware that they're paying. Right. And then, and they end up, end up with about $150,000 on average. So if you actually Google today, right now, how, what's the average amount in a 401k plan? It's 150,000. You know what I, I know you cannot retire on $150,000, you know? So it's insane, you know? The, the, well, no, I mean, that's, and you and I talked about this before we started recording, is, yeah. is there is, you know, I won't say a flood, but there certainly is a begin, it seems like a, an increasing sort of trickle of people saying, yeah, we're going to retire outside the country. Yeah. And if that's your strategy, if you're going to go live in a third world country where $150,000 can can help you out, <laughs> fine. But if you want to stay in this country and you want to retire rich, you have to have a very different strategy. So so I, I go back to or, the or retire con- comfortable. Yeah. But I think what, why, see, that's the other thing too. If you go to a financial advisor today, most of the financial advisors will give you sort of uh, antiquated percentages of how much you have to save in order to retire with the understanding that basically you're going to live less or more meagerly or, you know, less full out than you're currently living. Right. And and I think most people, if you're in your retirement years, you want to have more travel. You want to go more places. You want to actually have fun be above and beyond. You've worked so hard in your job. Now it's time to retire. You want to be able to enjoy your life. You don't want to have to cut back at that time. You don't want to basically be living and scrimping by. You want to be crushing it, right? So when I say retire rich, I mean it. I think that, you know, it's it's today, you know, to become a millionaire today is really just to ensure that you at least have enough to be comfortable in your retirement. You're not financially free by any stretch at a million dollars, right? So, but I think no. the thing is there's a minimum viable. It's a hell, it's almost, you know, not quite 10 times more, but, you know, from $150,000 and the current retirement plans, you need to 10x that just to get too comfortable. Now, if you want to retire rich, you got to go even beyond that. So you made a comment earlier about it feels complicated. And I think that's what's happening. People are like, I don't know. So I'm going to hire a financial advisor. 
And what people don't understand is if you're not hiring a fiduciary, you're hiring a broker dealer. And that's what vast majority of financial advisors are today are broker dealers. And you're paying fees that you're not even aware of again. Mm -hmm. Right. Because a fiduciary has is required by law to put your your needs in front of their own. But a broker dealer can basically give you all kinds of investment strategies. And, yeah, it's better than no advice. True. But those are laden with fees. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help educate folks to understand how to take control of your wealth because no one's going to do it for you. And I think one of the biggest challenges is that we would rather talk about sex than money, right? It's a taboo subject. Nobody wants to talk about how much money they're making or where they're investing or any of that kind of stuff in most households, right? How many parents talk to their kids about money growing up? I, my parents certainly didn't. Sure. You know, I had no, to figure no, this stuff on my own. Right. So, you know, I, I, I honestly think, I honestly think that, you know, this, this is, this is where I'm at. And I think that the idea of how people take control of their money and is so critically important. Now, I also want to comment about the idea of when you talk about sales, leadership, and marketing, to me, this is about sort of understanding your own psychology. You know, if before you can be a great leader, you have to lead yourself, right? You know, for, for other people to look up to you, to aspire to you and sort of say, hey, you're an amazing leader. You need to be able to be in your own control. And it's not do as I say, not as I do. You want to be able to show by action, you know, the way your feet move. That's the way you want people to judge you. And so from that perspective, you know, if you really are a, an, an exceptional leader, you need to be able to lead not just within your company, but also in your personal life. And to me, wealth creation is about really having those leadership skills applied to the personal life. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I mean, you certain degree of congruence is, is really important, yeah. <laughs> right? Throughout your all the spheres of your life, for sure. Um, and if you're not, then people will be able to spot that pretty pretty easily. So, yeah. you know, you're right again that there's sort of people have this this hesitation, despite being really more fully informed, or at least have the ability these days to be more fully informed about the options are given the you know the power of the internet to to understand what they're again, what their options are, what the possibilities are, yet they're not taking the actions they need to. Yes, correct. Well, and, and I think a lot of that comes down to the money mindset, right? And the psychology of wealth. Um, you know, what I find when I start to talk to clients, I, I talk to them specifically about sort of their money imprint. Everybody has a money imprint. Um, for me, when I was 12 years old, you know, I, I realized my both my parents were music teachers. And so they didn't make a lot of money. I made more money my first year out of college than they both combined, right? Through their entire lives, which is crazy, right? But that they, they did an amazing job raising me and my brother off of the lower end of middle class. And and we never really felt it until we were in high school and we realized, okay, we don't wear the same shoes and the same clothes and things like that because we went to private school early on and it was all uniforms. You didn't see that. But I remember one distinctly when my uncle had come into town in Santa Rosa where I grew up and my whole family, extended family, had gone out to dinner. And I remember as a 12-year-old kid stressing out about the fact that, God, look at how many people are here. Look at what everyone's eating. Like, we didn't go out that often. I'm like, this is going to be a huge restaurant bill. Who's going to pay for that? Now, I'm 12. I shouldn't be worried about this, but this is what's going through my head when I look over and I see my Uncle Ron take out his credit card and without even looking at the bill, just hands it to the waiter. And I thought, 
that is what I want to be. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy who goes to a table full of family and friends and everybody else and not even look at the bill. Just say, I got this. And so that was my money imprint. And from that moment forward, you know, I became an entrepreneur, really. That was the tipping point. It's like, okay, I'm going to basically take care of my own finance. My can't, my parents can't, I'm going to take care of myself. And that sort of started a lifelong journey leading up to today, where now I'm a professional leadership coach helping people figure out their wealth strategies. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm more than happy to support people in the C-suite of their own leadership within their companies, but where I get the most juice, where I get the most passion is ensuring that these leaders are being, or sort of taking care of themselves outside of their organization to ensure that they will have the kind of wealth to support their families and the people that they care about. Okay, so let's sort of break down, start at the beginning. As, as one of your first steps you talk about is you need to be able to discover your emotion, you call it emotional home. So what, what yeah. does that mean? And what's it mean from the standpoint of investing or savings or whatever? So, so, uh, Brene Brown did one of my, one of my favorite books, um, that daring greatly, right? So, so one of the things she talks about is psychology of the, I'm not blank enough. And I think this is when it comes to money, <laughs> this is where the, I'm not blank enough shows up. We sabotage ourselves. I'm not smart enough to know how to invest. I'm not worthy enough of having this sort of outcome that I, uh, to be a millionaire, uh, you know, the, the, I'm not blank enough shows up in the psychology of wealth and that the wealthy basically are constantly looking for these really incredible strategies where they're going to make a lot of money. And what we end up doing is in the middle class side of the, of the, of the business, they, most middle class folks, what they do is they risk a full dollar to make like five cents. Whereas the wealthy will risk five cents to make a dollar. And so it's totally backwards, right? So that's asymmetric risk. The psychology of wealth begins with saying, that's what I deserve, right? And, and then knowing the strategies of how to basically invest like the wealthy invest. And so to me, that's the, the, my book, Millionaire, sort of breaks it down into three parts. It's the psychology. Part one is the psychology, like really understanding what your money imprint is, understanding sort of how you feel about money, understanding the worthiness principles, right? That all has to be taken care of up front because if your mindset is not the right mindset for wealth creation, you're going to sabotage yourself. You know, you're going to. So how do you how do you fix that? I mean, so if yeah. if someone is as we described early in the show, you know, these big spenders that aren't saving at all, um, you know, how do they how do they change their behaviors? So, so it's really understanding your own psychology. So, so in, in the book, what I talk about is this concept of, of understanding first where your money mindset came from, right? So like understanding that sort of first blueprint, like where did you, when you were a kid, you know, what was it? Was it money's the root of all evil? You know, is it that rich people are assholes, right? You know, it's like, like what, what was it that drove what you think about wealth? Because whatever will happen with your parents, believe me, that baggage is still there. Like whatever that, 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 that whether it's good or bad, you know, that psychology of wealth and wealth creation started at a very young age. And so part of this is unpacking that, right? So part of the, the mentality side is understanding how people who are rich think versus people who are poor think. And if you start to look at that dichotomy, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, when, when, when I'm looking at, um, for example, education, I look at education as an investment. How much is it going to cost me to learn the strategies and the tools that I will need to be wealthy? But a lot of people on the poor side of this, if you're looking at uh, education, you're saying, what's that going to cost me? Like a couch, right? What's it going to cost me? And, and how am I going to get screwed? Right? <laughs> because that's the way you sort of look at this. And so if you're truly looking at wealth creation, you're looking at what are the investments I need to make? How do I protect my downside risk? And how do I make sure I have a significant upside? 
and, you know, and that's and that's just that's really straightforward. But that psychology doesn't permeate most financial decisions. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad did a great job of this, right? If I buy a luxury car, going back to your three, two, one example, if I buy a luxury car, that's not an asset. That's a liability, right? Mm-hmm. It can, you know, so, so there's nothing about that car that's going to make me wealthy. It may make me look wealthy, but I'm definitely hurting my wealth with that, that acquisition. The flip side is if I buy a property, right, that basically throws off positive cash flow and that there's enough positive cash flow coming out that I decide to use that positive cash flow to buy a car because, hey, I deserve it. That's a different strategy, right? You've basically invested in asset that's going to keep paying out year, years and years to come. And so the idea is sort of delayed gratification. That comes up a lot. You don't need that second house. You know, you better, you'd be better off going off to Airbnb and just renting for the week that you're on vacation anyway, right? These are the things that basically impact our wealth. And if we're not aware aware of it, we're going to make really bad financial decisions. Yeah, well, I'm part of this too, though. I think that, and I just wonder whether there's there's something in here about, um, you know, there's risk, obviously, in investing, right? So yes. there's a risk, you know, you talk about the upside is, you know, I think that's hard for a lot of people because, you know, we all know through social psychology that, that people tend more to uh, act in ways that avoid risk as opposed to get upsides. Yes. And... That's right. But, but I think part of that, though, comes from the fact that that oftentimes when they're being pitched, certainly not exclusively to financial services, but when they are, is that it's more often about, uh, you know, too much risk, right? It's just, it's, it hits people, their perception just, you know, I just can't take that step, right? And the, But they're made to feel bad if they say, yes. look, this would be good enough for me, right? And, and I wonder whether people sort of get talk too often into striving for something that's just unrealistic and then as a result do increase their their risk exposure so if you think about this one of the one of the little diagrams that we put together in this book was sort of a, a two by two quadrant right so it, you always know the top right is always where you want to be right so at the, the very bottom sort of when you think about sort of your knowledge and experience so the, the xy axis is knowledge you know to, uh, so knowledge on the left uh, sand side and and experience is on the bottom right so if you look at that we, we start off as paralyzed, right? And that first low, low knowledge, low experience, we are paralyzed to begin because we don't really feel like we have enough knowledge or experience to do anything. So we stay there. A lot of people never get out of that box, right? Other people invest in knowledge. And so they put a lot of money and time into, into knowledge. And so what they do is they go all the way up there thinking that until I know everything there is to know about this particular investment strategy, I'm not going to do anything. But then they become sort of self-sabotaged from that knowledge because that you realize that the more you learn, the more you know you don't know. And so they never take any action. So they basically stay up in the knowledge category, but they don't have any good experience. The flip side is also true. You, you have a lot of people who basically are like, hey, I just got a, I got my first big sales commission. And so they just start throwing money at stuff they don't understand at all. So they have zero knowledge. And so they go to the far right end of the, of the access and they go from paralyzed to just tons of experience. Well, of course, the flip side, you know what happens there is that if you have a lot, you know, if you start investing money and you have no knowledge, you're going to get an experience. <laughs> That's going to be, you're going to lose a lot of money, right? So what we want to be able to do is balance the, the actual knowledge with the experience so that we can be fearlessly effective. To be fearlessly effective is to understand that, yeah, there's risk and here's how I mitigate the risk. And yeah, I'm going to lose money, by the way. I know I'm going to lose money, but I'm willing to lose a small, tolerable amount in order to get the larger upsides. You know, the biggest thing, the biggest screw up in 2008 that most people made was pulling their money out of the stock market. If you just sat there and did nothing, 
the market recovered and you were fine. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, what happens? Well, the rich and the wealthy realize, hey, I can make money on the way down. So they might be hedging their strategies and mm -hmm. doing some other really cool stuff. But even if you just didn't do anything, you know, don't do anything, just stand there. That was the strategy in 2008. Don't do anything, just stand there. Guess what? This market will correct. And it might take a couple months or even, you know, in this case, it took about a year. But by 2009, man, you've had some of the best bullish returns after a major correction. That's what the wealthy understand. Right. If you're coming from a poor, it's like, oh, my God, I lost all this money. Well, no, you didn't lose anything until you memorialized it. When you pulled the money out of the market, that's when you lost. Make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. So so let's let's sort of go back to yeah. the beginning for people that are, you know, looked at the 401k and a either it doesn't exist or B, they've got two small amounts in it. Uh, you know, let's give them some strategies. So the first one we sure. talked about is pay yourself. Right. Just make sure that when you get your paycheck, there's a certain amount that's just automatically deposited in a savings I don't say savings account and, and people think about one person's savings account, but in some sort of investment account or something. Yeah. Initially it is a savings account. Then you move it to an investment account, right? Okay. So initially just for, for ACH deposit purposes, it, you, you need to be able to deposit right. in something that can accept that. Right. Often that's a, that's an account like capital one, three sixty or whatever. You can get a 1% interest rate. It's, it sucks, but it's, but it's something right? right. But, but when you build it up, then you can turn it into a Charles Schwab account or Merrill Lynch account or whatever. And then you can start doing the investment side. So number one is pay yourself first. Okay. So number, number two, two Number two is get a fiduciary, an actual real fiduciary, not a broker dealer. So tell, tell somebody what that what that is and what their job title will be, you know, where you find them. So what you want to be able to do is ask. So so for, I, I use a company called Creative Planning. Creative Planning is one of the handful of, of uh, financial advising firms that are pure fiduciaries, which means the only hat they ever wear is a fiduciary hat. They never a broker dealer. They make no money on anything ever than the the one percent fee that they charge to their clients to manage their money. A pure fiduciary is always required by law to put your interests over theirs. So they're never going to sell you something that they make a commission on, A, because they don't make a commission, and B, because they would be financially liable for any of that on the back end if they were ever found out. So a pure fiduciary is somebody who's going to be your advisor to help you with the investments. Because what they're going to tell you is you don't want to have all these mutual funds. All those mutual funds, that's great marketing but it's not effective in terms of financial wealth building. You want ETFs with the lowest possible fees. You want ETFs everywhere you possibly can get them and you want to stay out of mutual funds. But that's what a fiduciary is going to do is help you with that. And the third most important thing is understand, right, that you're going to have to go through and educate yourself in order to take control of your wealth. Nobody else is going to do it for you. So from that perspective, if you've paid yourself first, you hire a fiduciary, you're going to have to spend a little bit of time educating yourself on sort of what your wealth creation strategies are going to be. Well, let's, One let's, of the things in my book... I, I was going to say, yeah. let's, let's take a step back. So fiduciaries oftentimes have minimums, though. No, well, actually, so what's fascinating about most fiduciaries is they're looking at where you are as you sort of get started. Most fiduciaries will take you on at about $150,000. So my point of paying yourself first is, is that you can get to pay yourself first pretty quickly. Between your 401k and paying yourself first, you can get to $150,000 not in not a long time period of time. Because if you make that adjustment, if you're paying yourself 20% of your net take-home pay and you don't ever see it, it'll suck when you have to adjust. But once you've adjusted, that's going to come down like clockwork and you're going to be amazed at how quickly you can build up wealth. Okay. So 
Any other questions about fiduciary? No, no, just to make sure people understand. Yeah, no, thank you. I, and, and Andy, I really appreciate your clarifying questions because sometimes I'm, I'm like in this, right? So it's like, I go fast, I don't mean to, and I don't want to lose anyone. And I appreciate you being the voice of the audience to make sure that we're saying things that, that make sense. All right. So, so if I'm saying something that doesn't, please stop me. Okay, so yeah. you, got, you have your fiduciary. Then what's the next step? Okay, so so now the third part is is what is your action plan to be able to sort of continue to build wealth? So what your what I mean by that is an action plan looks at how do you create passive income for yourself? The number one thing that most people do is they ter- turn you know, exchange time for money. And so the, the challenge with that is, is that you have limited amount of time, so you can make a limited amount of money. But what you find is for the, the wealthy, you know, you've got, whether it's a real estate strategy, whether it's a stock strategy, um, you know, whether it's basically looking at alternative investments, it doesn't really matter what the strategy is at the end of the day, as much as are your dollars working as hard as you are. Right. So so the fiduciary for me is the most critical hire because the fiduciary is going to expose you to a lot of these strategies and, and help support you. But you might decide that, hey, I want to go deeper into real estate. So you want to sort of, you know, figure out w- which phase of the real estate you want to be in the sort of building or you want to be in the you know buy and flip. You want to be in rentals, whatever. But the point is, there's lots and lots of ways beyond the stock market to make passive income. Passive income means you stop working, you still get paid. And for most people, they don't have any passive income. The wealthy have tons of passive income. And that's one of the critical differences. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And next after that. So I think after that, now it starts to come into personalized plans. So, so in the book, what we talk about is on the action planning side, we give a whole bunch of strategies of what you can do to create wealth. And what we encourage and basically walk you through is how to create that plan of action for yourself. And so the action planning is, okay, once you've paid yourself first, once you've hired your fiduciary, and now that now you're sort of looking at what is the education that I'm going to need in the area in which I want to become an expert? Because whatever day job you have, you know, Godspeed, enjoy, you know, build as much as you can. But the minute you sort of switch over and you start making passive income, the minute you're moving toward a a sort of long-term retirement strategy. And so the passive income is going to have to be based on whatever strategy you decide to deploy. And there will be elements there. So that, that's really like, it it goes beyond the scope of the today's conversation because there's a lot of options and we're going to explore a lot of them in the book and you can decide what you, what you think makes the most sense. Yeah. I I think the real key takeaways are is that Really, no matter what stage of your career you're at, you need to have a plan. Yes. And yeah, I, I don't know. I got started relatively late on mine, I, I guess. Uh, Better late than never. <laughs> right. But I'm also no, I'm more fortunate than, than many. So, um, you know, but once you have it, then yeah, you have, you have a sense and a plan of what you're trying to achieve. It really makes all the difference in the world because if you're just winging it, then like anything in life, you know, if you're in sales and you're just winging it, if you don't have a sales plan, if you don't have a list of targeted accounts you're going after, if you don't know specifically the product and service and the value you provide to your customers, then, hey, you're never going to succeed the way you can. Exactly. So similarly, in, in your personal life and your financial plan is is you need to look at it almost like a second job. At least I do. That's what I look at it. It's almost like a second job. You have to educate yourself. You have to – I'm f- far from being an expert in this by, by any stretch of imagination <laughs> – but but understand certainly a lot more than I did, you know, some number of years ago. 
Well, and, 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 and I totally appreciate your candor and, and you're sort of looking at this, like, I think we're all on our own journey and wherever we are is fine. Honestly, it's just a matter of, you know, by bringing awareness to this subject, people can get started, whatever, if the best time to begin investing is when you're in your twenties, the next best time is now, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I think that, that just to sort of wrap up is, is yeah. you had a, an acronym that, I thought it was very clever. You called your FOCUS acronym, which was uh, follow one course until successful. And yes. I think that that, if anything, is is a strategy that people really have to keep in mind is if they, you know, if they panic, if they, you know, market's down for a month and they start bailing and so on is, is yeah, it's just, it's not going to happen for you. So you got to stay the course. So one thing that I I want to first of all I want to I want to say Andy thank you so much for allowing me to even have this conversation with you because I think it's so important I'm really trying to get this message out there but beyond the book one thing I want to just offer up to your listeners sure. here is I want to give a free coaching session to anyone who wants one. Um, and if you go to billcarmody.com slash accelerate, what you're going to do is, you know, find an opportunity to basically get on my calendar. And what I offer is basically a free one hour coaching session to help you really understand sort of what's stopping you from becoming a millionaire. And if you are a millionaire, how do you go to the next level and be a multimillionaire and beyond? Right. And the reason I do this is because I feel that one of the most important things is when you understand this at a heart level and understand exactly what's going on in, in you know, from a, from a mindset perspective, you immediately can start taking different actions. And, and I feel like that's something where I, I would love to be able to add that value to your audience. Okay, great. Well, nice offer. Um, so why just, again, billcarmody.com forward slash accelerate. If people want to talk about how they too can become a millionaire and you're not selling anything other than your book. No. So there's, that's right. <laughs> there's people have, <laughs> Nothing to fear other than just uh, having a good conversation and perhaps getting some wisdom from Bill. So, all right, Bill, well, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on the program, Andy. I really appreciate it. Oh, my, my pleasure. So, and friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. Again, we really didn't talk about sales, but this is certainly an important part of our lives, something that uh, we all need to be paying attention to. So, thanks for joining us. Remember, come back, join us again for the next episode of Accelerate. Uh, I'm Andy Paul. I'm your host. Until next time, good selling, everyone. 